And here we are with the victorious Mr. Matthew Bonner. How you doing, my friend? Little round of applause, mate. I was buzzing right, for that right. fight, and I was so happy seeing the result as well. How are you feeling now? How's the has it all sunk in? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm pleased with the performance. Uh, I think that's probably the best the best fight I've had so far, and I'm just kind of pleased. You always have kind of um, a game plan going in, and I said the game plan was to go in and high volume, put it on him, loads of you know foot forward pressure and stuff. And it was just nice that I kind of followed that game plan because once you're in there and the nerves hit and all the rest of it, it can kind of fall to pieces a little bit. But you know, I was I was pleased. I listened to my corner and and yeah, I got the wins. So dead happy with that. This is where the fight was quite interesting in itself because again, I like how you was talking more general sort of okay pressure pace instead of it is like intricacies to the same combinations and you can see i think this is where the decision really came from because again you're landing threes and fours whereas Inman's landing ones and twos as such and that's what sort of tallies up is that something you've been proactively pushing the pace more or is it just general combinations mindset where's that sort of game plan in itself come from well i always uh, if, you, if you, you can certainly see it in the jerry richardson fight and the george smith fight i i kind of always woke up in the, in the third round and then that's when I do my best work. And obviously, you know, if you've already lost the first two rounds, then you coming back in the third round isn't enough. So that, that was kind of the game plan. Even inspiring was to was to start fast, start fast, you know, an awful lot faster than they have done in the past. And I I um I didn't misjudge it, but I figured from from Mattyman's last fight against Craig White that if I went in there through loads of volume, got in his face straight away, I thought he'd just fold in the first round. Uh, and he didn't. He was just super tough. Um, super, uh, he was a lot tougher than I thought. Um, the volume still worked. I was I was super fit for that fight. I'm always fit anyway. But yeah, I expected him to kind of will it in the first round, and he he weren't having any of it. You know, in terms of in, in round three, he kind of started making a little bit of a comeback almost by the end of the third round. So you know, respect to him really. He's, he is super super tough. Now, also tough as well. I mean, on top of that, what really impressed me from Inman's side of things was his composure with defending these shots. Because again, you're talking power, you're talking volume. But again, his guard yeah. was quite, you know, compact, keeping a sort of frame, keeping a sort of structure. How did you feel keeping that game plan still? Because again, you're thinking, okay, he's not folding the way I thought he would. Is it just, okay, I'm going to win the rounds this way? Is it just to try something else? How were you like going in the second round after that first round, kind of, he didn't quite fold as easily as you expected? Yeah, I, I knew when I was in uh, that. that is the hardest I've ever hit anyone. Um, so I knew even if I wasn't knocking him out or I wasn't maybe dropping him or whatever, I did hurt him in the first round. You can't quite see it from the, obviously from the video very well, but I kind of wobbled him with, with the first onslaught. It was, it was an old hand right and that kind of shook him up a little bit. So that gives you a little bit more confidence to, to crack on the way you are. Um, but yeah, then I started kind of beating up the leg as well. That was, that was a tactic, but if I weren't going to be able to stop him, then at least do enough where I, I've got loads of damage on his lead leg. Obviously, if you bash up that, that front leg, their power goes and their movement goes. So that was kind of plan B, I guess, was if I can't finish it with the hands, at least do enough damage where he, he can't really he can't really hurt me. And, and he didn't he didn't really have the power. I think Matt should probably still stay at welterweight. He, he's not he's not for me. He's not got the power for a middleweight. What he has got is a you know, really good technique. Uh, and like you say, quite good defence as well. He kept moving out. He kept moving back. And what happens when he's moving back is he's just catching the edge of my shot, not the full power of the shot. So that kind of did him did him some good, you know, moving out the way of the power. I mean, this is kind of as well taking the sort of slack off. And it's interesting saying about the weight difference because then you feel it in there. And again, you've already gained you a lot of confidence in that side of things. But regards to your game plan and sort of way to handle this fight, is that something you personally decided to do? Something Rimmer's given an influence on? Is this something just... I don't know, some instinctive such. The way we saw it is just, it was kind of the same as the George Smith fight in a way, it was just to keep it standing for as long as we could. Um, I, I figured, um, not George, Matt would, would eventually start shooting a little bit more or maybe go for a body lock. And, well, Matt's got a very, very good jiu-jitsu game. So our game plan really, certainly from Matt working from the bottom with triangles and stuff, because he's had a lot of finishes from there, was if it did go to the ground, just stand up. Just no ground and pound, no trying to pass guard. If it, if it goes to the ground, just stand back up. If he gets to the clinch, separate and just keep it, keep everything nice and long and, and just keep in, his, keep in his face and keep beating him up. But don't kind of suffocate myself too much by, by, by coming in too close and don't get taken down. 
Because again, this is where it gets quite interesting to sort of planning stylistically. Because when you're just on paper, you've got someone who's been out for a while, obviously having the athletic advantage yeah. there, ideally you want to implement that pace and the extra pressure. Because again, if he holds you close and then, you know, gets a bit too intimate in that kind of way, that's one way to lose a decision quite comfortably in this sort of, you know, the lay and praise kind of style. And it's interesting being able to work around that because this is the MMA side of things. Because again, people get taken down, they get complacent, they think, oh, I've got a nice guard. Yeah, but until you use that nice guard, you're, you're losing the fight. And I think it shows your maturity to really sort of identify that. Regards of your training with this game plan in mind, is it very specific around that as such? Are you doing, are you bringing in people to imitate that kind of style you're expecting? Is it just your own reference points? What's that? Not really. Uh, I do probably 80% of my training at Next Generation. So that's Monday to Friday, two hours every morning, or sometimes three hours in the mornings. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday would be kind of technical sessions. And that would, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be individual for me. That would be just getting better at everything, whether it's, you know, attacking the back or clinch positions, anything. But then the Tuesday, Thursdays are the sparring classes. And that's when I would kind of try and work my style in terms of the volume and pushing off from the clinch and not being taken down. And then I've got um, a twin brother as well. who's uh, He's a professional fighter. He's a professional Thai boxer, a very high-level Thai boxer. Um, and I would use maybe the evenings and the weekends to go over the more technical stuff, practicing, you know, uh, drills and stuff for the Matt Inman fight. So in general, the, the the training at next gen would be just just improving on getting better everywhere. Nothing kind of independent for the, for the fight. And then I'll use my own time in the evenings and the weekends to you know go over drills and go over whether it's you know standing up from guard or whether it's um, clinch. You know, going back to my brother being a tie boxer. He's very good in the tight clinch, and that was really useful for Matt Inman fight because he does a lot of clinch. So even if it did get to the kind of uh, the point in the fight where he was looking for the tight clinch, I was I was confident I'd beat him there anyway. And again, this is where it gets quite interesting, the sort of strategy to even just disengage these clinches because, again, it's not as easy as just, you know, learn your pummels. No, just make the range, switch stance, that kind of stuff. It's really interesting seeing that. And when it comes to, like, next gen, again, they're probably notorious for the back mount with the triangles and this, that, and the other. And, like, having the pleasure of training with Ben Hills myself, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty it's pretty, pretty tried and tested. It, it works very well, as my neck will tell you. <laughs> so, regards of your sort of style from there, then, how have you found your style now? Is it just what's worked in sparring? Is it something that's been advised by Paul in general throughout your progression? Is it something you've just, I don't know, fell into? Yeah, it's a bit of both, I guess. I mean, you, you obviously take feedback off your coach and he can, He's got the more experience and he can see things that maybe you don't see. But then there's also those kind of little eureka moments in training where something works and you think, you know, shit, that'll work in the fight or I'm going to practice this so it can work in the fight. So, yeah, a little, little bit of both, I guess. Um, I was kind of practicing this little slide forward. It's more like a tie style um, technique where you slide forward on your lead leg and you can see that coming out in the fight. It um, kind of works as a, as a distance, you know, pushing distance forward and it's almost like a bit of a feint at the same time. So you get feedback off your training partners, especially in sparring, and you think, mm, that doesn't work, I'll, I'll forget about that, or that did work, and it works consistently. That's what I'm going to take in the fight, and hopefully it'll work in there as well. Now, with your like training partners and sparring partners, do you aim for people with the same weight category as you? Do you mix up quite a bit for different styles? Is it the same people all the time? Do you go out of house for your sparring at all? That's, that is a little bit of a tough one, because next gen, in general, has got, you know, the lighter guys, it's got probably the best bantamweight base in the, probably in, in Europe, to be fair, Connor Wilson, Liam Gittins, Nathan Fletcher, and everyone else who I forgot about. You know, mm. they've got uh, Fran, um, got really, really, really good lightweights. Uh, sorry, you know, lower weights. And then there's bigger guys, uh, Mustafa and Jordan, who are like heavyweights. But there's no one really kind of a middleweight in my weight class at next gen. So that can be a bit tricky, but what I have found is you've got the lightweight guys, uh, Ant O'Connor, Adam Cullen, who to me in training have felt stronger than, than George Smith and Matt Inman. Super, super, super strong. Um, big wrestling backgrounds. And like I say, they, they feel it's a little bit demoralising, to be fair, when you're getting you know, out grappled by a lightweight. But they're so unbelievably strong. Um, so I've never felt like I've, I've missed out from maybe not sparring middleweights. And obviously... The guys I mentioned, the heavyweights, they're super strong as well. They're walking around at kind of anywhere from 100 to 110 kilo. So, it, I've, although I've not got anyone my weight class, 
first say there's, there's guys there who are still giving me a hell of a challenge but that is that is something I have thought about after the fight in terms of maybe not going elsewhere for MMA training but maybe mixing it up somewhere with uh, some other Brazilian jiu-jitsu coaches or wrestling coaches and just trying to I um, work with Owen Livingsley who you've got a podcast say, with yeah, yeah so so working with people like that um, is ideal or even maybe going and doing a training camp abroad somewhere and that might be, you know, something interesting to think about over Christmas. I was going to say, when it comes to mixing up training partner the weight category-wise, also in Liverpool, we've got um, Tom Aspinall, a heavyweight who spars with quite a lot of people, different weight divisions. And he sort of, to be a testament to his sort of speed as such as having that kind of mix around. And saying that Owen lives is he someone you've always brought for camps anyway? Someone you've trained with prior to competing in a cage? Or is he someone you've known just anyway? That was... Owen trained at Next Gen very briefly before I was there. Uh, he's St. Helens based and then he's, he's ended up moving over to Hull. Hull's about two hours away from, from mm. me, so it's not somewhere I can train all the time. But um, Owen, obviously, as you know, has got a very, uh, very decorated judo background. And George Smith was, I think, you know, George Smith was the same. He, he worked with the uh, British Commonwealth judo team. So that was Paul Rimmer saying, go over and, and work with Owen and, and see if you can get any, any tips and stuff. And, to be fair, I mean, I only worked with him for, it was just a two-hour two hour session, um, but that worked to treat in the fight. Only, it's nothing nothing major, but if you look at my head position in that fight and the emphasis on, on separating, that was that all came from, from Owen, his, his, uh, his, his techniques. I mean, that in itself is the real detail there, because again, you, they're not expecting you to fucking ip on someone trains the Commonwealth team, but more sense of, okay, I'm not getting thrown. That in itself is what I need. I, I don't care if I'm not going to get my fucking sumagate I just don't want to get fucking slammed. And then this is kind of the point. Yeah. Now, are you normally one for just... When it comes to your game planning in general, is it based more around their sort of strengths in themselves, their weaknesses, where do you feel they go for you? How, what's the general analysis like for an opponent? Say with George Smith, what was the initial game plan sort of process for that? Usually the last three fights that, that they've had. I think looking past the last, you know, a little bit foolish really, because obviously people get so much better in between training camps. But I look back. What honestly for George, it was judo and his his you know, Darcy's and anacondas. He had a very, I think he finished maybe over amateur and pro, maybe six to seven people just with a Darcy anaconda joke. So you think, okay, so first of all, we're gonna we're gonna stop the takedown. If you don't take me down, I can't get darsed. Uh And then you say, okay, but he might take me down, so I'm gonna improve my Darcy defense. Uh, and then you, you just you just drill the shit out of a Darcy defense and, and takedowns and whatnot best you can. And then, you know, going back to the weaknesses, what's he not really good at? Okay, his striking is um, a little bit a little bit sloppy, not not great, not sharp, as, as, as say mine might be. And so then you work out a game plan with how you can defend his takedowns and how you can put him in your kind of area of expertise and try and beat him up on the feet. And then it's kind of that battle between who can, who can do what. I mean, George was always going to win on the ground. He was never going to finish me. Um... And I was always going to win on on the stand up. I was never going to finish him with with any kind of submissions. So, sorry, mate. The um, connection seems to be cutting out quite a bit. Um, so say it's really interesting there. The way you just make sure I've understood that properly. So that sort of analysis. Okay, you you know what he's going to be sort of aiming for in the sense of his darses, his sort of takedowns in that sense. But again, you're more drilling that just for a case scenario kind of idea. And then your striking to where you know you've yeah. got the advantage, you're prioritising that in your own sort of preference. And then by that sort of general idea, don't get taken down, keep it on the feet. And if you do get down, you look out for a dust as a rule of thumb, then it is an actual set in stone. This is what I'm going to do as gospel. Is that right in saying that? Exactly. That's right. And it kind of, again, going back to George, if they've got six to seven, eight dust chokes or arm bars, whatever it is, to me, that's, that's quite... Um, it's not something, it's something you, you kind of worry about, but it's also something you can straight away, you can think, right, okay, that's my training. That's what I'm going to train for. I'm going to train for, you know, DAS defense. 
where when you've got guys who don't specialise in anything, who are maybe all-rounders, they're a lot harder to train for than the guys who specialise in things because you've got, you've, you know what they're going to be going for. You know what their instincts are. Where these guys who are you know, good at everything, don't really specialise in anything, they can, they can surprise you, they can shock you or something, they can pull some out of the bag. I mean, this is kind of the thing in itself, because you hear a lot of people who get these sub-finishes that it's not so much something they intentionally went for. You think, okay, we just had a scramble and I ended up in an armbar somehow. And it's one of those sort of things, like you must know yourself from training and rolling. Like, how many times do you think I'm going to dash this person? Oh, no, I got me the dash, didn't even realise. It just sort of happens. And with that being said anyway, like, the uncertainty of a fight and the general sort of risk assessment, how are you with the fight day and the preparation in itself? Are you, do you get quite nervous with the build-up for it? Are you quite excited? Are you just looking forward to the event itself? How do you find once the fight is booked, like the build-up for the um, Mattyman fight, for example, once that was confirmed, were you excited? Were you nervous? What was that like? That, that, was, a, that was a funny one. I was, I was working at the time. Um, I own a gym with my twin brother um, and another guy, Rob Lightburn, and we, I was doing a PT at the time, and I got a text from, from Paul Rimmer saying he'd offered you Mattyman. And I, I just laughed straight away. I, and just just giggled straight away when that came through. I, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe Matt had come out of time just to kind of fight me. But in terms of like the build up for it, it it's so it, straight away it's excitement. And then I, I don't get I won't get nervous until the day. I, I don't I don't let myself kind of waste any energy leading up to it. There's no no real nerves. Um, I'm more I'm more kind of anxious about the weight cut and how that's going than than, than the fight. And obviously the fight, uh, fight day. That's that's when I kind of let the nerves come in, and you, know, you you do want the nerves. Every time I've not been nervous for a fight, um, I've always lost. You've kind of those nerves sharpen you up and, and prepare you to, to get punched in the face. Where if you're going numb, you know, your legs don't work and your your brain's not switched on, and, and usually that's when you'll uh, that's when you get caught with something silly. So with the weight cut in itself, then is it something quite? quite an ordeal for you as your diet outside of camp a bit like a Ricky Hatton sort of thing is it like your treats a little bit it used to be it used to be it's not so much anymore I think I kind of I'm a little bit of a control freak with 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 the weight cut which is why I'll, I'll let myself get stressed out and my girlfriend will be saying you know you're well on weight stop worrying about it and then I'll be hitting the treadmill at four o'clock in the morning just trying to lose an extra kilo just when it's not really necessary but yeah, I'm a bit of a control freak. I, I used to I used to fight welterweight, um, and I'd be walking around at you know, 95 kilo, and then getting down to 77 and a half kilo. Now I'm fighting at middleweight, and I'm, I'm probably losing in camp um, eight kilo, eight nine kilo. You probably four of that is, is is water. So it's not it's not a big weight cut. Um, the, the problem being with the Cage Warriors trilogy is we need to isolate in a hotel for like two three days prior to the fight. So you haven't got access to treadmills and saunas and, and, and the facilities you'd usually be, you know, be using. Uh, all you've got is the bath. You know, you can have a salt bath. So your preparation, you need to be a lot more prepared um, for the children than you would be for, for a normal fight. You've got, like I say, no saunas or exercise bikes or treadmills, which you can get a good sweat on. I mean, this is interesting in itself because, again, like Fishy and um, Mod had a bit of trouble with that when it comes to Abu Dhabi, the sort of isolation side of things. Is that something you sort of preempt in that sort of idea that, okay, I need to lose a bit more weight than the build up is because of that? Is it something you just sort of plan whilst you're in the room for something to do? How do you deal with that new obstacle as such? I've, I've got every single weight cut written down since I first started. So there's, there's probably 10, 15 weight cuts that I can look back on. Um, I mean, I fought maybe five times at middleweight now. So what I'll tend to do is I'll I'll keep track where I am in relation to to the other the other weight cuts that I've done, and that'll give me like a good starting point where I'm up to or what I need to lose. If oh I should be 88 kilo at this point, and now I'm you know 90 kilo, I need to I need to work harder or sweat more or whatever. So yeah, I'm pretty professional when it comes to stuff like that. And then obviously I've got an SNC coach Paul Reed as well who will. Will kind of help guide me and give me some advice when it comes to when it comes to what I should be weighing or what I should be weighing around. Yeah, again, you now I've gone to middleweight, I can be a little bit more flexible than, than I was at welterweight. Welterweight used to be um, a monumental weight cut. I mean, at that point, the the camp is just the cut. It's not really a, a fight preparation at that point. And this is where it gets very sort of just taxing in general. The whole like, intervals between fights, everything else. Now, with the move to middleweight from that point, then. 
was the thinking just, I can't put my body through this? Is it, I'll feel weak at the weight, I need to put more strength on injuries? What was the real sort of defining moment that, okay, this isn't fun anymore? It, it was a few of all them put together, I think. I was definitely getting more injured and I was definitely, the more the fight camp was becoming, you know, a weight cut. It was, okay, I've got a fight coming up in eight weeks. Uh, I need to lose weight when it should be. I've got a fight coming in eight weeks. I need to practice. I need to get better technical-wise. I need to, like it's like we mentioned before, address the weaknesses of my strengths. It becomes like a weight-cutting process. And it wasn't because I was lazy with my diet or anything. It was just because I was so big for the weight class. If you look at some of my um, well, weight fights from, from back in the day, James Sheehan or Dylan McLaughlin or Bobby Pallet. Or not, not Bobby Pallet. I was a little bit smaller for me for Bobby Pallet. But certainly the James Sheehan fight, I was massive, massive for that. And it just got to it. It just got to a stage where it just wasn't feasible anymore. I, I started I'm, I'm, uh, at lightweight and then pro at welterweight and now I'm middleweight. And I kind of assume I'll, I'll stay at middleweight for the rest of my career now. But even now, I'm, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty well-sized middleweight. But I was, a, I was an enormous welterweight. Absolutely huge. Keeping evolving like a Pokemon. Just keeping it bigger and bigger as the weight cuts go up. I mean, this is kind of it in itself as the way that point of not necessarily just diminishing returns, but how your style sort of changes in itself. Because again, the lighter weights. And again, this is why the other side of training with people in different weight divisions, they fight differently. Like, for example, if you go bantamweight sparring with lightweights, the bantamweight's going to get stronger and get more plant with their shots, but the speed is not going to be there when it comes to the flies and the bantams. So it's interesting seeing how that sort of changed. In regards of your weight moves at that point then, do you feel your style changed as a result because of the weight at all? Or do you think you just as you were, but a bit healthier and a bit leaner as such? I think probably the second one. A little bit healthier, a um, bit stronger. And, you know, as soft as it sounds, probably a bit happier in, in fight camp as well. Oh, definitely. You know, in fight camp, you're, you're already getting, you know, beat up, you know, feeling like shit, fed up with training. Uh, although it's, you know, the best job in the world. You, you know, you get punched in the face every single day you get fed up of. For you to go home and then having to, kind of have chicken breast and broccoli for, for breakfast, lunch and tea, it, 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 you know, it can drain you a little bit. So but if you can have, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more carbs, you train better, you feel better. If you feel better, you'll fight better. So you know, that, that definitely makes a bit, bit of a difference. Like kind of being a little bit more happy in camp and a little bit more stress-free. I mean, this is a huge thing in itself. And one thing you mentioned earlier when it came to your weight cutting was the journaling side of things. Is it something you do in general at like post-training? You want to sort of write down, okay, the session was good because of X, Y, and Z. This was wrong. Is it just general weight-cutting references? Do you journal quite a lot in general? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's, it's kind of more on my phone. I do need to kind of like, jot it down in journal, but it's more I'll do certainly the weight cuts, and then at the end, after the weight cut, there'll be a little note in there saying, weight cut was really good, woke up on this weight, maybe could have um, ate a little bit more for breakfast, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll do kind of analysis of the fight as well. So it'd be, came out really strong in the first two rounds, you know, please well, well thought, this is what I could have done better and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that kind of, I think as I've got older, you know, I start writing more lists and things anyway. I think it's more easier to, to keep up with things and I run a business and, you know, write down your, your training timetable. I think it just, you don't want any fuss. And it's, it can be quite... Uh, kind of an intense life when you're training here and there and you've got your strength conditioning and you've got what you're eating for the day and all this and this. So, yeah, for sure. I think writing things down and, and looking back on them as well, um, learning from your mistakes, I think that's super important. I think that's a, you know, a really good way that you'll, you'll grow as a to fighter going forward. Well, again, the point of reflection is so underappreciated, I feel. Because, again, like you're saying, that there's a amount of things going on with that. And one thing to go into in a minute is about the balance between, obviously, running a business and, you know, fighting the nature of the ideal you do just i just wait the idea was just wake up fight train go to bed crack on rinse repeat but, you know being an adult gets in the way sometimes of having to you know pay bills and stuff but anyway one thing at a time but the whole thing of like reflection and understanding what went well what didn't go well what's the sort of key themes here and actually looking back on those notes as a separate entity in itself is so important now regards of the balancing your camps and obviously working full-time as well is it a full-time job as such is it more just every now and then ad hoc sort of thing like what's your role in your business then are you just do you, do you run the whole thing is you, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm lucky where it's uh, the three of us who run the business but it's me and, and my brother who, who kind of mm. do it full-time um it's, it's an mma gym or it's, a, it's predominantly a, a thai boxing gym um 
but obviously we make all our money from doing one-to-one trainings and stuff like that. But I'm kind of lucky enough now where I've just about realised that the work training balance and I've said this, you know, to to a few people. This in terms of the career, uh, MMA is very short-lived. You know, I'm 30 years old. Hopefully, I'm in a kind of condition where I can do this for the next seven, eight, nine years. But this is kind of from a money standpoint, I've realised that I need to put more into training, more into fighting, and less into work, which obviously you lose more, you lose a lot more money. Five cage warriors or well, a pay you is, is not going to cover all your bills. So it's, it's come to that stage where I've had to maybe work 15 hours a week instead of working 40 hours a week, but then making sure I'm getting in every morning and every evening for training and, and really grafting and working towards that world title shot. And then, you know, when my career is finally done, then I'm in a position to be able to, make money and to you know invest in things or whatever whatever I choose to do but I've always been quite quite good with money anyway so I'm, I'm you know I can't pay my bills I can pay my mortgage I own my own house own my business and, and all the rest of it and my own car and so it was just about being sensible and and having that money in the bank account if you know just in case if I do want to go and train abroad or if I I do want to you know if I get a, a world title shot for instance maybe I don't want to work for, for the eight weeks fight camp maybe I want to just fully solely focus on on, on that fight, and I, I'm in position to do that. But that has took a while to be able to get to that, you know, to get to that position. I mean, this is in itself a really important concept of having everything in order. Because when you're doing something so full on, it has to stay in order. Because again, if everything was quite chaotic and not really measured, not really, you don't know what's going on where. <laughs> I'd say your hair would fall out, but you know, I think that was a, a while ago. But yeah, it's one of those things that we're like, okay, got so many things going on in the world, spinning all the plates, it makes sense for them to just say, okay, got the steady income here, this, that, and the other, it's all very nicely lined up, it makes so much more sense. And it's interesting, the sort of, I don't know, the understanding you've got of the bigger picture that, okay, this is my career, this is that window, but you know, there's life after that, I need to make sure that's at least in the conversation. Because you get fighters who are either like, okay, this is everything, this is all I am. I mean, it's all very interesting, but, you know, it's life after 30, believe it or not. But then you get the other side of, you know, I'm so far into my plan B, my plan A is not even on the radar. So I like the way you've managed to identify what needs doing, but not, you know, be so full on on the other side after the fact. Now, regards to your... I think you have to um, be... Go on, mate. I I think you've got to be super careful kind of both ways. I've got training partners who probably have a lot more talent than me but because the life isn't stable in regards to money and, and a job and they haven't got a car and they haven't got the you know they, they can't drive to the gym they haven't got that flexibility it all kind of falls to pieces for them and then you've got the guys on the other end who do run successful businesses or have opened up their own gyms who, who kind of you know they get up in the morning and they say listen I've got a busy gym I need to go get I think you're covering the mic, mate. The um, speak sounds cutting out quite a bit. Can you hear me now? Yeah, it's bomb. <laughs> Sweet. Just saying, you know, these guys do, you, know, you need that drive. When you're in the third round of a fight and you get your nose blasted off, in, you know, if you, in the back of your head, you're thinking, well, you know, I quite like coaching actually, and you know I don't mind doing that for the next thirty years. Uh, you just, you just, you just give up. You, the drive and the hunger is not going to be there for you to be able to push through those those hard rounds. Now, interesting if you say that, then because again, as much as you need that sort of, this is what I'm doing, all guns in. This is you know, blood or whatever else. I know I'm going to stay in this cage. I'm going to win this fight. But you've also said about you've got you know your plans for after the fact. How how do you get that drive and that hunger still at the same kind of like, you know, animosity, knowing that, you know, this isn't the be all and end all? I think it's, I think it's realising that, you know, like I said, I do enjoy my job and, you know, I'll be doing that for the next 30, 40 years. But for me, there has to be something that I can look back on my career and say it was worth doing. This is why I did it. Or even, you know, when people come in and they say, oh, did you fight Matt? And I say, well, yeah, I won a world title on Cage Warriors. And they go, oh, that's that's cool or whatever. I, I just want something, um, just something to, just to be, 
just be proud of, I guess. You know, you can you can coach other people and be proud of what they accomplish. But I'd, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to have been worthwhile. That's for sure. And you know, I do, I say, I do enjoy the coaching. But I've always the reason why I started coaching was to fight. You know, the reason why I owned a gym was to fight. That gave me the flexibility with the one-to-one sessions and working hours. Now I'll start work at two, three o'clock in the afternoon, pretty much every day. Um, and the morning is, is taken up by, by going down to Liverpool to Next Generation. So the whole my whole life is, is kind of revolved around fighting. The reason why you know I ended up buying a car and getting driving lessons was so I could drive to the gym. The reason why I moved back to Warrington, because I used to live in Wales for, for five years, was so I could train and I could fight easier. Everything's kind of revolved around fighting. It's not revolved around coaching. Although that's you know a passion I enjoy doing it. The, the number one is and will always be until I retire. No fighting. That's that's why I kind of get out of bed in the morning is so I can train. Would you say you're proud of what you've achieved so far? I'm proud of the last two fights. I'm proud of the George Smith and the Matt fight for sure. Um, there's a few fights in there that I'm not kind of proud of, but I'm kind of pleased that it happened because you learn you learn all your lessons and you you, know, you grow from your losses. You don't really grow from your wins. You can grow in confidence, but in terms of there was a standpoint of, oh, I did this wrong, so I'll fix it for next time. Um, losses are, are, are really important. But yeah, I, I was, I'm proud that before before I went to Next Generation, I was pretty much at one point coaching myself and managing myself. And I was quite, quite. although my record is up and down, I was quite proud of, of getting to Cage Warriors off my own back, really. Nobody, nobody was helping me. Nobody was taking the time out of the day to coach me and take me under the wing. It was, it was, all, it was all me. I, I kind of did it all myself. And then I realised, obviously, if you want to make it to kind of that world title uh, picture, you, you've got to have a coach and a manager and a strength and conditioning coach. And, you know, you can't be naive. You can't do it all yourself. You need to, to, to push on and, and you know, get yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit in, in, in next generation. Now, that's interesting in itself is to say, like, it's good that you can appreciate your recent fights, at least. Because, again, a lot of people get in this sort of mindset of, I'm still on this journey whatever you want to call it on the pursuit to achieve this goal they stop they don't get to stop us by the rosing of okay i've achieved it so far like literally what you said there getting to cage warriors that for a lot of people is their career goal that is that sort of pinnacle sort of spot and again you should be proud of what you achieved so far but again there's still more to go and that's interesting you can appreciate that still and this is where like so go on mate go on. i was just gonna say i think because i have you know lost a few fights and lost a few split decisions i always say I say it to my girlfriend because she she fights at amateur level, you know, and she's you know won and lost like everybody else has. But you know, sometimes you can come out of a fight, sometimes with a win, and you can be thinking, oh god, I could have done this better, and god, I wish I'd done this, and oh, I could have finished the fight. And it's like, just enjoy your wins. Don't don't break it down too much. You can analyze it and get it better, but don't break it down too much. Just in, enjoy your wins because the losses, you know, feel feel like a death sometimes. You just feel like your whole whole life is uh, is over. I know it's bit dramatic but mm. you know you put so much effort and energy into a fight and then for you to lose or you know get injured or whatever it can be pretty devastating so just enjoy your wins you know don't think you're the best in the world because you won one fight but don't get down in the dumps about it just just enjoy enjoy it enjoy the kind of you know, like two three three days of everybody saying how great you are and how well you did and then you know get back on the horse again and get back to training how do you handle your losses then? Did you take it quite personally in the sense of you back to training the next day? You sort of, you know, sort of fuck this, I'm going off and trying to, you know, just have a bit of, not, not a dramatic sort of soul, because again, you take a very sort of emotional hit with it. You see what I mean? You can do, especially kind of in, in your pro. I, I lost my first two pro fights. I had a, an absolute nightmare uh, when I first started. But again, that was probably down to just being super naive and, and thinking everything was going to go well and not having the right coaching team behind me. Um, and those those two losses were just devastating. Um, you know, and crying like a like a little girl after after the first loss, and then the second loss in a row, I was so upset I couldn't even cry. So you know, you just it, you do you get beaten up from it. And then there's obviously the people who come and watch you and you buy tickets or come and see you in the gym and say, oh, how did you do? And then you, you kind of relive that loss every time mm-hmm. you you have to explain it. Um, so I, I tend to solve for a few days and then I'll watch the fight when it comes out you know, if it's put on YouTube and then after I've watched the fight it'll it'll tend to be okay let's just 
man up now, get over it and crack on for the next one. Now, again, even that, like, having to relive those losses when you have to sort of have these conversations, that's, these are the things people don't appreciate. And again, it's always asked with the right intention of, oh, they want to know you did well, they want to hear you did well. But again, it's, it's the other side of it. And again, it's such an honest thing in itself, the fact you've done the weight cut. Again, the way you're saying how serious you're taking the cuts, everything else. And these profiles you're taking as next step up in your career. Like, before you went pro in the first place, was it something you felt 100% certain for? Did you think you rushed going to pro maybe? initially I think yeah I, I, I certainly rushed the pro I, I wish I'd, I'd fought a few more amateur fights I made all my mistakes in pro and then now I'm doing quite well you know it's I've, but I could have I could have had those losses at amateur instead mm. my mistake was just again being in that comfort zone and, and, and just kind of enjoying um, training by myself and, and kind of being naive with the people around me the coaches who were around me when I was first MMA wasn't it wasn't a full time job for them. It was it was something that they did as a hobby. It was something they enjoyed to do. And then maybe we'd go and have a fight on the weekend somewhere. Where you know, obviously next generation the UFC fighters have world champions and they have you know, full time coaches there. You know it's their profession. It's their passion. It's the only thing they do. And so that that that's you know that's the gym you want to. That's the gym you're going to grow in. That's the gym that you want to you know you want to prosper in. Not, you know, kind of training at home in your garage and hitting a punch bag. Um, no one's, no one's been a world champion by by training on their own. I don't think. Now this is where it's interesting what you said earlier about getting to that platform and cage or something you did on your own, but also through a gym in itself. And I think this is where it gets sort of lost in translation for some people because again they think, okay, I've been on my own, but I'm part of this gym, and that also being pro- taking that responsibility and ownership of their own training and their own development is a really like unappreciated thing in itself. Like regards to your development, how did you then get to the amateurs, the pro levels as such? Is it something you were pushed for as such? Something you pushed them to help you prepare for that sort of thing? Like how did you get, how did you make those, I don't know, amendments for your mistakes? It, it was, it was me who was pushing. You know, I, I was asking for the fights from, from the previous coach and then he'd kind of, um, Kind of, kind of do his best, I guess, to to sort them out. But then even even the matches coming, we you know it was a really small gym at the time, um, and and the guys you, you'd be you'd be fighting someone from from a top gym, and you know just 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 to, just to see as a bit of a feeder, really, you know, bit of a bit of a bum they can they can beat up, and then you know you'd be taking those fights, and the fights weren't it just it wasn't really well thought through. It it, it was very much. Well, amateurish, you're very amateurish. I know you're fighting amateur, but you still want to approach amateur in a professional style. And it was very much, let's just go out there and have a fight and see what happens, kind of attitude. And um, yeah, and that was kind of I wanted to fight and I wanted to go pro and I won kind of an amateur, I won an amateur title. And from there on, it was you know we've we've won an amateur title. Let's go into pro. And there wasn't really any uh, any kind of feedback in any way. It was kind of well, okay, let's do it then. It wasn't well. Actually, you know, let's get a little, you know, a little uh, run of wins going first. Let's defend the title. Let's do this. Let's get you a strength and conditioning coach. And like I say, it was very amateurish. But I think that's that's not me blaming other people. That's me mm. again saying I was I was naive, naive in, in terms of you know pushing forward. I'm probably a little bit too too excitable about it. And probably because I was I was probably 26 when I first went pro, so that's still quite relatively quite relatively late in some regards compared to other people. So you'd see like Sage North got in the UFC and he's, you know, looking 18 and you'd think, oh Christ, you know, what am I doing? I'm still an amateur. And then maybe that that urgency drove me to go pro a little bit too soon when, you know, listen, if you, if you go pro when you're 30 years old and have three, four good fights, that's, you know, you're still in a good standing there and you've still got five, six, seven years of being at your, at your peak level. And now, that in itself is interesting, the kind of reflection on lots of different issues there. So again, identifying certain factors there, because I like the way you're sort of explaining that it's not you blaming other people, it's understanding, okay, this was a situation, this is where the mistakes were made, this is where it could have been different. Not saying, not washing right. hands of it, but saying this is the situation, this is how it was. Mm. And then like, again, I like the honesty on, you feel you were sort of getting a bit pushed for time, or thinking, okay, is it now or never sort of thing. And again, you know, Maybe you wouldn't have had the same value of these mistakes if it was an amateur fight. Maybe you might have given it, okay, uh, it's only amateur, who cares, it's gone one on pro. 
So who knows? Mm. But just to say where you're at now on the right trajectory, because this is a very important concept right. of knowing like, okay, it doesn't matter where you are, it matters where you're going, that sort of difference. Because if you're not improved, right. even if you're like, you won your last fight, you know, eventually it's going to start going. Yeah. Definitely. No, I, I agree. You know, kind of, you take the, the good with it, with the bad, I think, in this sport. And it doesn't really matter who you are unless you could be, everyone, everyone's going to lose. Everyone's going to kind of go through through bad times. And even if you don't lose in fighting, then, you know, your personal life might be a bit of a mess. You know, you think of someone like John Jones, who is probably the greatest of all time and has this many title defenders in this, but his personal life is an absolute joke. So you kind of, you know, in general, not just in fighting, you're going to go through bad spots and good spots and you've just got to crack on and they say, just fix your mistakes. That's what I say to all these amateurs. Certainly at amateur level, you know, if I was to give advice to anyone at amateur level, it, it would be just enjoy it. Enjoy, enjoy it and learn from your mistakes. Because when you go pro, that's when that's when you will feel the pressure. Um, just get as much experience as you can. Be sensible with who you're fighting and the decisions you're making and you know, make sure you've got the best gym. Yeah, just learn from your mistakes. That's the that's the best bit of advice I think you could uh, could take from that. So, regards to finding the right gym, why was Next Gen the right gym for you then? What made you change to them specifically, opposed to other gyms in the sort of area anyway? Well, it, it's, it, it's a funny one because that wasn't actually my first choice. The, the first choice was MMA Academy, um, Jason Tan's gym, which is also in Liverpool, and solely only because I knew quite a lot lot of the lads who were already training there. Uh, I'd known Mick Bowman for 10 years. I'd known uh, Lawrence Fitzpatrick for a while. Tim Barnett had already fought and, and got on reasonably well with um, Kinsella, Matt Kinsella. I'd met. So I thought that would be an easier transition because I already knew some of the guys um, from there. And then I went there for a session. Um, and it was a good session. No, it, it was a good session. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the gym. And the lads there are, are, are sound and are really good fighters. But... Um, I kind of got a little bit of feedback at the end from Jason in, in regards to, you know, I said to him, I, I want to fight out of, you know, out of MMA Academy. I want to, I want to, I don't want to fight by myself independently anymore. I want to, I want to fight under a coach. And it was kind of a little bit like, um, well, I'm not sure. Uh, that, I might be wrong, but that's the kind of attitude that I kind of, what he, what, what, what he, what he expressed. And then I, I, uh, funny enough, I got a message from. Uh, a friend of mine at the time, and he, he said, why don't you try Next Generation? I'll, I'll ring the coach for you and, and tell him if you can come down. And and I did, and I went down there, and Paddy Pimlet came over to me and said, welcome to the gym, Matt. And then Chris Fishgold did the same. And then Paul Rimmer came up to me, and he was, you know, telling me, you know, we've got this guy who will, you know, give you a sports massage. I mean, we've got good ties with the universities, and we've got this, and we'll offer you this. And, um, it just it was just a lot more positive and then I went back the next day the next day and then that was that then I ended up fighting for him probably about four months later um, for the first fight that I had with next gym so it wasn't again MMA Academy there wasn't anything wrong with that gym at all it's a very good gym but it's just uh, it, the, the thing that Paul Rimmer it was, all, it was all about what we can offer you and obviously he's a fighter you know I'd, I'd never I'd never been offered anything um, so it was nice it was, it was positive and and that's why I, I carried on going there instead of remaining. Well, this is the thing about um, Next Gen in itself. Uh, a lot of people I've spoken to, people who train there now, have said they've had not as pleasant experiences with other areas, other gyms in the area. Mm-hmm. But with Next Gen, it's a very different atmosphere. They felt wanted. <laughs> they felt welcome. I mean, that's the difference. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the way you explain that in itself, you asked them if you could fight at MMA Academy. But except, you know, Paul's trying to almost... Not convince you, but again, build a case to make you want to be there, make you feel wanted. I mean, right. that, that must right. have been like you know. So, do you know what? Yeah, I, I, maybe I should be wanted as such, instead of having to pitch a case and you know this, that, and the other. It's interesting. Now, regards of yeah. the way next gen train for the, what you used to, was there a lot of stylistic differences? Do you do a lot more strict discipline work? I know you said about your brother with the um tie boxing, but do you do mainly MMA based things? Is it individual disciplines? Where do you sort yeah. of prioritize your training? It's very much um, so at Next Generation, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'll do an hour of striking and then it'll be like an hour of uh, MMA grappling. So that could be ground stuff, it could be uh, wrestling on the cage, uh, anything like that. Very, very MMA based. Even the grappling is very MMA based. There's not many. I kind of figured going into Next Generation because they are so good on the ground, it was going to be a, a lot more 
pure jiu-jitsu, no gi, loads and loads of rounds of rolling. It's not the case there at all. It's a lot of MMA grappling, a lot of wrestling. Um, and then Tuesday, Thursdays, we'll spar. Uh, Tuesdays, we'll spar with the 16-ounce boxing gloves. And then Thursday, we'll spar with the 6-ounce MMA gloves with head guards. So, and that's kind of... Uh, in regards to why that was different to the training I was doing at the time, it was completely different, unbelievably different. Um, it was very much just kickboxing or just jiu-jitsu. It, mainly, it would have been gi jiu-jitsu at the time as well because he used to train with Mario Sukata. Um, he was kind of not really a coach, but he, that's where I was going and doing my jiu-jitsu. He wasn't in the corner for fights or anything like that. So it's gone from kind of dis- training by discipline to full MMA training, MMA grappling, um, it, yeah, completely different. And that's definitely where you see the sort of strides in the development. Because again, it's not even just, you hear the response from fighters from there. It's not just the, the ability, it's putting it all together. And that in itself is the art in MMA. Now take a quick interval there, mate. If you've got any sponsors you want to shout out? Um, I've got uh, hopefully a new sponsor on Sunday, Tunnel Vision. You do boxing gloves and kind of loads of boxing equipment and stuff like that. I'm going to meet up with him on, on Sunday. So... Um, yeah, I think that's the only one so far. Hopefully, I'll have a, a few more by the time I'm fighting out in next. I think Cage Royce is on again in March, so I'll try and get a few more sponsors. But at the moment, it's just Tunnel Vision. Cool. Right, we've got the English hypnotist for the podcast sponsors. We've got um, yeah, the English hypnotist for your mental sort of needs, whether it's in the fighting in the cage, the business sort of side of things. Always good to help with the mental coach side of things. Um, Rico Clothing, variety of brands, always um, expanding. And the people's IT for your website needs. So yeah, that's just a little shout for all them. Um, what else was I going to say? Uh, regards of your preparation sort of side of things, you said about getting a strength and conditioning coach. How many sessions a week are you doing that? Is it quite intense? Is it full on actual conditioning side of things? Is it more maintenance, ironing out the creases? What does your SNC tend to look like in a camp? It's uh, three sessions a week. So that'd be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, he'll send me over a workout for Monday, Wednesday. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what happened with that. I just had a three ring me, I think. Never mind. <laughs> but in terms of the, the S&C, um, I'll meet up with my S&C coach on the Friday. He'll send me two workouts on the, the Monday, Wednesday as well, but I'll physically see him on the Friday. And that's based very much these days. I was already pretty strong when, I'm, when I met him. I've known Paul for Paul Reed. met him. A good, good while ago, I used to fight on his uh, Shinobi shows and he used to run Cage Warriors Northwest Academy. Um, so I'll, I was pretty strong before I met him. He used to do quite a lot of powerlifting anyway. So I was pretty strong. But what I was missing was the kind of explosive speed training. And you'll see, kind of, I started working with Paul after the, the Jamie Richardson fight. Um, and you see a difference between the speed and the, and the explosiveness and, the, and the, you know, the way I'm moving around. It's, it's massively different. Um, a lot of kind of jumping, slamming stuff and, and, and all the rest. It's it's really good. It's made a massive difference. It really has. Now, this was interesting about the Jamie Richardson fight because, again, he, most like yourself, fought welterweight and also middleweight. So to see yeah. someone in a similar sort of boat as you, how did you find that fight versus expectation? Because obviously that side of things, obviously after the fact you're making your amendments, but how did you expect that fight to go versus how it went? <laughs> I, I think I said to you before in terms of kind of when I lose lost a fight, you know, I'd watch the video and then I'd kind of move on from the fight. Um, in regards to Jamie Richardson fight, that's the only fight that will still sting. That's the kind of fight that I'm still pretty ashamed of in terms of how it went. Um, mentally, I kind of just just wasn't there for that fight. I just, I think I'd, you watch the fights before in terms of their previous fights and I've watched, you know, seven, eight of his fights where he's just starching people, knocking them out and, you know, face plant KOs, and I, I kind of felt that that's, I just unnerved myself by watching all that stuff. And then I went in there, fought terribly for the first two rounds, and then realised in the third that he couldn't hurt me and that my striking was probably better than his. But, you know, again, it was just too late in the third. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the only fight, really, that I, I kind of, if there's any other fight I'd want to run back, it'd probably be that one. Um, just because, you know, not no disrespect for Jamie Richardson. He, you know, he's done well, and obviously it didn't go. It's, it's, it wasn't his night the other night, but he's 
know, still done really well to get title shot. But in regards to George Smith and Matt Inman, I don't think I don't think I've, I don't think he's anywhere near the level them two are. Um, but yeah, that 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 was a bad fight for me. If I'd st- stored their striking, if I'd done to him what I did to George and Matt Inman, I think he'd last two rounds. I, I, I don't think he could keep up with that pace. Now that is another thing in itself, a whole concept of um. Not necessarily underestimating opponent, but overestimating them. Again, you see the media mm. sort of things of you know the, the KOs and the finishes that you know are genuine. But in the same sense, okay, oh shit, am I getting knocked out? Thinking, wait a minute, I've been doing this for this many years. Why is the thought of getting knocked out suddenly new and now unnerving? Why is this person who has got two arms, two legs, now has got this extra level of value? <laughs> it's it's a funny one because obviously, again, talking about my job in terms of one to ones, you'll get. People come in and they don't mean to do it, but they'll say, oh, who are you fighting, man? Who are you fighting next? And they'll say, oh, I'm fighting this fella called Jamie Richardson. And they say, oh, all right, okay, I'll, I'll watch one of his videos when I go back home. And then next time you see him, they'll be saying, oh, my God, you know, he's so good yeah. in and he knocks everybody out and this, this and this. And you're thinking, oh, fuck's sake. I'm, I'm I'm not, double now. Am I in trouble here? <laughs> yeah, am I, am, I, uh, am I underestimating him? And then before you know it, you've, you've let that kind of in, infiltrate your mind a little bit and, Again, that that's not anybody else's fault. You should be have this the strength of mind to, to block that out and crack on. But yeah, I kind of felt like I was going in there to to get decapitated. When if I'd gone in there with the frame of mind that I developed for the Martin and George Smith fight, like, again, I don't think he would have. Uh, I don't think he would have touched me. I think I would have had an easy night's work. And again, this is the whole thing of like, I wouldn't say it's a mental sort of strength, but more the management. Because again, you'll feel these things. That's natural. If you didn't, it's the same with the nerves. If you didn't feel nervous, you wouldn't feel, you know, sharp. You wouldn't feel on edge. So to say it's not, a, it's a mentally strength thing. I wouldn't agree with that as such. But again, it's it's part of the whole thing in itself. It's now an extra layer for you to yeah. understand not to underestimate your ability or overestimate your opponents. So it's one of those sort of things. At least it gives you a bit more confidence knowing what you're capable of having shown it. Because again, you see with a lot of fighters where the ability in the gym versus what they manage to show on on the actual big stage. Yeah is not even a fraction yeah so that's right and I, I used to I used to feel I was kind of one of those one of those fighters you know you look really good on the pads and you look the business in the gym but if it if you just can't do what on the night if you can't um, prepare or you can't you can't put on that show on the, on the night it, all that training means means absolutely nothing it, it's not gonna no one gets signed to the UFC because they hit pads well they get signed to the UFC because they, they perform they perform on the night and they're putting a good display and again, it's important to have these sort of these moments because this is what I was saying to um, I can't think who it was, but again, you need this sort of sting for these lessons because this sort of stuff is like just to say it, you think that's oh, pretty straightforward, but to have the experience to be stung by it's so now okay, this is a result of not appreciating what's going on. This is what can happen. Listen, Matt, thank you so much for your yeah. time, my friend. Where can people find you on their social medias? Really, uh, find me on Instagram, Matt the Beast Bonner, uh, Facebook, just type in Matthew Bonner. Um, yeah, pleasure. Really enjoyed the show. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Well, welcome, my friend. I'll stop recording.